I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Pada Bing on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being a part of this amazing and surreal journey with us. This is a conversation I had with Will Janowitz, who played Finn DiTrolio on the show. Will joined me in studio for a lengthy conversation about his time on the show and general discussion. We'll probably do a part two at some point because we could have gone on for another couple hours. He shared some amazing stories and was candid in his evaluation of the show's impact on other creatives, actors, and American culture. Just a fun conversation with lots of twists and turns. I'm excited to share it with you. So here it is, my conversation with Will. It always strikes me as strange that someone like yourself hasn't come along earlier uh, with respect to uh, The Sopranos in particular because it was such a phenomenon. I was always like, I was just surprised because social media came you know, way after uh, uh, Sopranos run. Yeah, Facebook wasn't even really a thing until the finale. 100%, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if that, right? I mean, and so it's so interesting with the phenomenon, like w- with the advent of like streaming and, and, tel- and like, you know, multitude of shows. And then you have people still, to me, to this day, are like, you know, Sopranos. Uh, who was, I was just with somebody. They were like, Sopranos best show of all time. It depressed me. It was Michael's, you know, uh, Nicole really loves the show. You yeah. know, and I agree. And But the fact that it didn't rot, it did, what would have happened via, via social media, would it have, it could have tarnished it. You know what I mean? That's, that's actually an interest. Yeah, people could have had bigger careers or, you know, imagine James Gandolfini's fucking Instagram. Like, yeah. he would have had 30 million followers. But would it have made it better or probably not? That's, it's a really interesting thought when you think about and it. so because I think about this, you know. The, the closest thing to the Sopranos right now in terms of, like obsessive like appo- appointment viewing is Game of Thrones. And you actually kind of see what they've done. They've actually done a pretty good job of keeping it under wraps. You're right. And from what I can tell from the show and the people that I've talked to on the show, David Chase kept the show 100%. under wraps. 100%. So he would have actually been perfect for this You're era. Right. You're he right. You're long- right. He would have kept it unlocked. No, he would have been because... It, he and Steve Jobs, actually, you know, I've shot, uh, I did a, a Steve Jobs pr- prior to him, you know, his passing. I did a, a one of the first iPhone commercials. And Steve Jobs, I kid you not, when you get one of those jobs, they make you put your phone, you sign an NDA, you put your phone, when you check in to go do, do work, you put your phone in a bag, a, a Ziploc, and you leave it there. You're not on social media at all that whole day. And if he finds out you're, you're fired, they'll can the spot. My spot, this is a bit of a, <laughs> a departure, but it's on this. It's a podcast. It, yeah, and, it's, and, and you think about um, David with respect to what you're saying. It, there, there was a similarity in that he had so much quality control. And uh, so we shot this spot. I had an amazing, actually, experience with Sam Mendes directed it you know revolutionary road and skyfall and brilliant director right mary formerly the husband of kate winslet and um that spot was canned because 
we did it also because it was like you're my wife, I'm uh, the husband, whatever. Like, uh, and and it was supposed to be for FaceTime. So it was one of the first FaceTime things that you would see what FaceTime would look like on a phone on a commercial. We shot it with digicams, really nice cameras, right? Probably maybe an Alexa Mini or something. So it looked really beautiful. The spot was amazing. Sam Mendes was amazing. He was in our ears in an earpiece telling us what to do because he was watching it all on monitor. And a brilliant actress named Marin Ireland played my like wife or something. And it was a, she went to Juilliard. Brilliant performances, my, me and myself included. And uh, I find out later they canned the spot because... Steve Jobs said, why? He goes, this is misleading to the audience. We, this FaceTime looks too good. So he basically said, oh, spot costs 5 million. I don't care. Can the spot and had them reshoot it with the actual FaceTime because we were trying to replicate FaceTime. He goes, why were you doing that? You should have been shooting on real FaceTime. So like, just to, you know, I just feel like that's kind of something that David did. I mean, Michael told, I don't know if Michael told you, but Michael wrote episodes. Five, yeah. Yeah, great ones. And um, Michael would tell me stories about just, and this happens in writer's rooms, but, you know, they do work that they thought was good, come in the next day and, and you know, they, they have like a broken the whole episode. And he would just scratch the whole thing because he's like, it's not right, you know. But, yeah. It's an attention to detail the cliche is that it's their baby. It was Steve Jobs' baby. It's David Chase's baby. And to a certain degree, if you're a parent or if you even have an inkling of what that feels like, you're very protective, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just to come as full— As you should be. As you should be. To come full circle on it, the notion that the Sopranos might get exposed in this era, I don't know, because I think the captain of the ship would have kept it on lockdown. So there was always, you know, you go to the table reads and David would stand up in a very— Uh, you know, as the master of the house, sort of. And he would stand up and he very... uh, People... So there was like an impression on set and I guess maybe because I grew up slightly in the business or because I'm very intrigued like yourself, I I have to talk to people I'm very curious about or or people that I find interesting. I want to know more. But there was an impression on set and probably also because I was young and I didn't know better. But like, I'm like, I just have a job. Like, this is great, but people would, were scared to talk to him. And so n- people would always go, he's, you know, he's really scary. You know, we, I, I don't want to talk to him and blah, blah, blah. I was like, maybe the first day he was there, I went right up to him. I'm like, the, you know, I don't even know. Just ask him questions like, hey, uh, wh- why do the lights look like this? Is this a choice? Is, is this this? And people were constantly telling me how f- afraid they were of this guy. But so flash forward to like a reading he would stand up at, at readings, uh, table reads, and I want to say, was it, it was probably before we started, he would go, thank you all for being here. We're really, you know, really gra- a lot of gratitude towards everyone for being in this room, you know, new people, old people. Um, it's just very important um, to the process and to this show that you don't discuss plot lines, characters, anything. And I always thought the way he said it, it wasn't mean, it wasn't hey motherfucker like you do this you're gone you're fired no tyrannical kind of behavior he was coming from a place of like it'll be that much more special and that was so exciting to be around and that was the timber of being on that show like yeah you had big personalities but man 
He ran the ship. Real, I th- I just th- always thought it was, and I've worked on some really cool shows. I've been, had the fortune and f- his, I would say the people who've come up under him actually really uh, adhere to some of the qualities. I mean, they're their own people, Matt Weiner included and, and Terry. But, you know, he was very fascinating man and it is a fascinating man and very quiet and i always was just very intrigued and wanted to know more terry and matt include like all the writers but i got to know terry and matt the most they wrote most of the episodes yeah that were a part of, and right? they were uh, in my opinion just you know, i mean you'd read their scripts and i was always just like oh, wow yeah I feel like uh, this is amazing. We started off on a great Sorry, foot. Sorry, no, no, yeah, we, we can started go on anywhere. a great foot. I could, I could, I, I love could this do this shit, forever. So I could, me too. Yeah. But I want to formalize sure, it. And sure, I just sure. want to say, Will, thank you for being here. For sure. This has been a year or so in the making, so it's great to be able to sit down with you. I'm, I'm very happy. Um, so you live in New York, but you're out in LA for a bit. Uh, are you working on a project? What's going on? So, post Sopranos, I, I ho- always had written more esoteric kind of like plays and one-man shows and I, I you know i kind of vacillated from doing crazy characters to like i just set up like a big movie at netflix with uh, a partner who i've been working with who actually imperioli and i have been working with as well who's i think one of the smartest producers in the business uh his name is john schoenfelder i met him through another uh la person a producer by the name of Danny Bernfeld, who's uh, at Peter Chernin. And they, and we've just been like, we clicked on terms of like our, what we like. And uh, the particular thing that I've been shepherding is this like comic book uh, that is um, is a very sought after piece of IP. And we, we finally got that going. So I'm a producer on that. I'm not a writer. Uh, I don't know if Michael told you, but... Um, We've been developing The Bad Lieutenant as a TV series. And so that uh, Imperioli and I wrote that together. I'm very proud of the um, the script. And yeah, hoping to sell that. Very cool. And uh, so you got a, you gotta, I got a lot got of stuff. Got your tentacles going on yeah. a bunch of different things. I just worked on Chicago PD with um, Michael T. Williams. Do you know mm-hmm. Michael? Yeah, amazing guy. He was like one of my one of my new f- best friends, and uh, we I'm out here. But oh, the main reason I, w- I was shooting this thing for the Duplass brothers, they have like a a web series, you know. So we was I was I came out here to support a friend and act in that. Very cool. Yeah. What kind of lawyer are you? Or were um, you? I was a tax lawyer. Okay. So it's a very logical sure, sure, reason sure. why I'm now making a Sopranos <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. <and> t- oh, yeah. <laughs> No, I, you I, should do. We should find out like a weird prequel or like follow up to Sopranos that's just in the podcast world. No, there's. A, I don't know how the hell it would. When I talked, when I talked to Jamie here, uh-huh. um, I had a really meta idea for her, which uh-huh. is she hadn't never watched the show, which I'm going to get to for you in a moment. Don't spoil it yet. But she had never really watched the show, and her husband hasn't seen it either. And I said. I have a great idea for you, and I just came up spur of the moment. It's you and your husband watch the show, and we mic you up, and we just get your live game take reaction, and that would be fire. I love it. I love it. Game busters. I love it. Jamie is also, like, one of the most special people, and she was so— I've I've, uh, since obviously worked on other stuff, but, I mean, there's so much to talk about about that show, Um, the way that they welcomed me— onto that show and probably partly that I'm a, you know, I think of myself as being an open, good person and try to connect with people. But uh, Jamie was always just so nice. Like, it could bring me to tears how nice she was to me and, like, how we were kids, you know, and she didn't have to be that way. And she, but she was a special good, and so was Robert, 
you know, for that matter. Like, they were just, it was just an amazing place. The funny thing is, I don't want to spoil, I don't know what your questions are, but, you know, my first day was that dinner scene where I meet Gandolfini, and I I meet uh, Jim, and I meet Edie, and I meet everyone. So I was so nervous, and I'm, and I'm like, because it was like Diane Weiss. I always, like, I, I always kind of draw the comparison between like, Jamie was Michael Corleone, okay, and I, and I am Diane, Diane Keaton, from, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's funny you mentioned that because I was saying, um, especially fans of the show today that have been watching it over and over again year after year, at least once a year. I feel like the way the show ended, and we'll get to that. It left an opening for Meadow to be the to run the family. She was the Annalisa of Commendatory. 100%. Um, Because there's a scene where where her and Tony are talking in season two and Mm -hmm. and he says, you know, you're all me. And uh, she says, it's okay, we're all hypocrites sometime. And she kind of looks at him. There's an understanding. And she's also firing on all cylinders, whereas AJ wasn't. 100%. So the fact that you mentioned that she's Corleone, it's it's the 2018 version of this would be her at the head of the family. 100%. And in fact, I don't know who said it or some sometimes i'm as an actor i ask a lot of, i like to ask questions so and i also want to know because that show was about fam, fam, so much about family dynamics it was a lot about like yeah i want certain things as an actor to to play a certain way maybe it, it feels better for me but i remember having conversations a lot with terry generally Terry, I was because he wrote most of those episodes, I would go up to Terry and I'd say, well, Terry, can I do it this way? And he'd go, I get why you instinctually think that, but if you trust the words and you trust what's there, it will make sense. And he goes, he would even get, he would even peel back, I, I want to say it was Terry. But basically I feel like somebody at some point was kind of, giving me the impression that th- that that opening that that th- that they were presenting an opening for Jamie to basically take over in a um ideological way like whether she also as you recall she starts to see the injustices of because uh, she takes that that job at a law firm, right? The hypocrisy. Yes, she sees it on both sides. She's in in Right. Does she start to kind of almost lean her father's way at a certain point? Or is it... She, from the very beginning, from I think as early as season one, she always... Mezzo Giorno, I remember all that stuff about the... She defends him. Yes. So to his face and to Carmela's face, she would, you know, throw rocks, right? But if anybody else outside of the family said something about her dad... 100%. She would always step up. And that was instinctual from the beginning, which is kind of why you feel like she's ride or die with Tony, and AJ's kind of just like in his own little bubble Mm -hmm. bubble sphere. And they started started to wink at his own sort of self-realization too, I think. Like a little bit. Towards the end. Towards the end. But yeah, Jamie... So like, that was always cool. I just thought that was really... I loved being an insider on the writing process and like seeing what they were doing and seeing how they were stuff. The only thing that ever really bumped me on that show, and I think it bumped other people, not what they did with my character and with, um, with, um, Vito, not that, because you know, the, the story behind that is that he Vito, came up with the story, yeah, right? Well, he didn't come up James. with it. No, no, no. There was a post article. This is the, as, this is what I heard. There was a post article that said something to the effect of like, 
uh, fairy godmother. You know, it was about a gay uh, boss. Um, and he was like, this is really cool. So he brought it to David. David said, this is interesting. You'll be the guy. <laughs> and like, so that happened. I just thought when they went and they did the leather bar stuff and the Johnny Cake stuff, I was fine with it because I, I can go anywhere. Like, I love weird shit, you know? So I was like, fuck it. Yo, why not? I won't begrudge any, or, or I won't take away from anyone's acting chops, but it also, that, that type of that requires a lot of fucking heavy lifting. Like as an actor, yeah. you have to be able to go there. And it, that's where I felt like you're pushing someone to do something that you're not going to be able to effectively, it won't necessarily, re, but they did a really good job. You know, all it things still stands consider- the test of time, yeah. which is the ultimate yeah. thing. But I can totally see how it's, there's comfort zones and then there's, Outside the comfort zone and then outside, outside but the comfort zone. But God bless them for doing that. That's the other thing about David. Like, uh, what we were saying about how he controlled it so, uh, with such a fine-tooth comb and, like, did such an amazing job. He also took risks, though. And so that, in and of itself, just shows, like, that guy really was, you know, he, he wasn't afraid. And, like, because that, that storyline could have easily been axed. You know, and he stayed with it, and he stayed with it. Yeah, he wrote even, it all the way even, into the. Yeah, he even explored it more. Um, I always was bummed the way that they kind of dealt with my character because I. Yeah, yeah, oh, you got. <laughs> yeah, so let's before we talk about yeah, yeah, the yeah, end, yeah. which I, we're going to get to. But how did the show happen for you? What's the backstory? The first phone call. Yeah. Just, so I want to okay. know. I want to know how it's, many Finns were compete. You were competing sure, against. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, any names of people we might know today? Just because when you were there, when you got on the show, it was it had already hit. Yeah. It was like a yep. it was like a sports car, yep. and everybody was getting out of the way, yep. and then you come into the scene, and it's a it's a big role because you know yeah just just go there. Well, right? it's actually a really fun story. So I'll start with this anecdote that happened after the process, and then I'll go back, but. Eileen Landris, and this is just to give you an idea of like the Tim, and it also goes back to social media in a weird way. So Eileen Landris, one of the better producers, uh, went on, did Girls, and is a great producer. She um, was, she's a brilliant producer. So she was on the show and she was producing at the time and very much around. She was one of the producers who was just kind of always there. And um, I would talk to her quite a bit and she was very nice. And um, she goes, after I got my for my role and after like my big episode the, the one with Vito she goes will uh how's it feel i'm like oh it feels great i'm having a ball and she's like you know on monday uh when your episode airs it's it, things are going to change and i said what do you mean she goes it's just you'll see and i'm like what the hell does she mean like i cuz i didn't watch the show i didn't watch the show at that point so cut to my episode airs the big one Several big ones with Jamie and, and all of that. I get on the train to go to work because I worked as a uh, coat check down at a fancy Italian restaurant. That's a whole movie in and of itself. Uh, where And this is pre-stock market crash. People are fucking giving me $100 for coats. I'm not kidding you. So I get on the train to go downtown and people are staring at me. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, just like the way you're like, you know, just like kind of pop pop here pop here pop here and i just went oh my god it, the show aired i had kind of even i don't think i had hbo my folks had did my folks had hbo and uh i was like she's right everyone it was and for 
I mean, for Michael, I mean, and those guys, geez. But for me, it was happening in, in a really profound way. And so it was like, dude, people in New York watch that show. And I couldn't even begin to imagine with social media what it would be like today. You know what I mean? Um, so cut back to um, I'm an actor. I left uh, like a fancy acting school that I, you know, is well-respected, but I just didn't What was it called? North Carolina School of the Arts. A lot of famous people have gone there and continue to. Um, it just was not the right vibe for me. Um, I also was young when I went there. I kind of wish, as, as you know, it's like you, you you kind of find your stride later unless you're like a savant who just like wants to do. So I was like, and I was more into experimental theater and shit like that, but I could do both. And, um, but I didn't love classical stuff and I didn't really want to do Shakespeare my whole life. So I left there. I started working as Mary Louise Parker's like personal assistant on some movie. I was a terrible PA, but you know, I was good with people. And then, uh, I get an agent through a friend. They help me get an agent, which today I look at my friends who, like, don't have them. And, you know, it's really tough to get How an does agent. that work? So you can do workshops. You can—but it generally comes out of, like, you did school or you got a break before you got it, you know. But it's, warm intros help. Yeah. Dude, I believe in, like, helping people. Uh, my whole—I'm all about—I don't care—you know, I care if you're talented, but— and you should you should know if you're talented. I like to believe, but like that's. But well, you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe right? in like yourself Kanye first. West. Yeah. Kanye West has a big picture of himself on his fireplace, and someone <laughs> walks in and goes, "Hey, Kanye, why do you got a picture of yourself on your fireplace?" And he says, "Well, if I don't believe in myself, who is?" Oh, right. He's right. I mean, in a very meta, crazy way, of course. Um. So, uh, I got some breaks, and um, I got a manager, and I. F- get a couple auditions. I got, you know, I got my first Law and Order, which is like a rite of passage in New York. I worked with Jerry Orbach. Um, he was really nice to me and very funny. And um, I got, I uh, had a manager named Matthew Sullivan. Matthew called me one day. He goes, and I had a great agent named uh, Ellen Gilbert, who's still doing it and very good, but she, she only works with kids. So I was kind of at this weird, like, Young 20s. How old were you when? I think I was like 22, 23. Okay. But I looked, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, a boy, whatever. I was How just still a kid. I'm 38. Oh, we're the same age. Oh, well, cool. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So I get this audition. I've never seen Sopranos. I barely heard about it. My mom, who was uh, passed away, uh, one of my favorite people in the world, I miss her dearly. She uh, is brilliant and like like off the charts, really, really, really smart and really good with theater. She was a dramaturg. She could analyze anything and like a very high, high level. We're talking like she got into Swarthmore when it was like, you know, she taught at Columbia when she was like at the master's program. And she's just like all these genius things. And she, but she also dealt with like, other issues in her life, which kept her at home and like, didn't get, she didn't live her full potential. So she lived through me sometimes. And she goes, you have an audition for Sopranos. She goes, do you, have you seen it? Do you, uh, do you, do you know about it? And I was like, I don't know what it is. And she goes, sit the fuck down. And I remember being in our living room, no script. I said, mom, I'm, I always got nervous before auditions, really nervous. Like I did. You throw up? No, not like that. More just literally like a panic attack. Like, like I don't th- just self doubt. Not you know because I came from having trouble in school. So f- when I found acting, it was amazing. But if I didn't feel like I was going to be able to do it, it felt like you know. And I also put myself into characters. I really try to live it. So it became this weird like head fuck thing. So she said, "Sit down." 
gave, and I said, Mom, what does this mean? I don't know who who's Tony in the context of the show. Who's Carmella? Who's, uh, she, <laughs> she, I remember reading it. Just, she goes, shut the fuck up. She would always say, shut, shut the fuck up. And read the scene. She read it back to front. And she goes, wow. She goes, I know what's going on here. She says, okay, so you're meeting the family. You're, um, this man terrifies you, but you can't let him, sh- don't show it. You know who, you, you, you don't, don't, you know, just read the lines, uh, but be aware that this man could kill, you know, he, he's the fucking boss. And, uh, and I didn't have to work that hard because I, that's kind of like, I'm good at that. I can sit in that world uh, pretty well. Did your mom watch the show? Yeah. Okay. So oh, she yeah, knew. Yeah. She knew. So she knew the inner, di- she knew the dynamic. So she was your acting she, coach. She this. was my acting coach. Yeah. And, um, and she would say, you know, a little of this, a little of that. So I get the call. What how it used to work uh, for Sopranos was, you go see. Okay, there's so there's two schools. George Ann Walken is the OG casting director on that. Okay, George Ann Walken was amazing. I don't see her anymore. I know she's around. She was fucking awesome. All the people who've cast that are great. She was the fucking woman who made my career though. Like she got me that job. I've heard that more than once. Okay. Yeah. And she's a fucking badass and she's Christopher Walken's wife, you know. <laughs> People should talk more about her. Um but she and I go in and I was I was not nervous cuz I'd practiced a ton. So you go in and uh I was going in for Finn. And I get there and uh it's a kind of office in Midtown or somewhere around there 20 I feel like it was Midtown. So I go there, go in and she says, well, you've got, you're great for this. You're great for this. And I thought I heard somebody talking shit about me outside, like, he's wrong. So I was already paranoid. She said, no, 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 you're great for this. Just sit down. Um, let's do it. So we did it. And she goes, she goes, okay. She knows, she goes, you know, there's a friend role too. There's a friend role. I want you to read that too. So I read that. I maybe same day, second, next day. Oh, you got to, you're going to go out to Queens. It's a silver cup, and you're going to audition, and you're going to read for, uh, it was a guy named James Heyman who directed my episode, who didn't do a lot, but he was a really good director. He, he went on to do, like, Joan of Arcade or well, a big show, uh, and really nice guy, and her only words of advice were, don't look David Chase, don't look anyone in the face. Why? Well, because in acting, it's it wasn't that weird in retrospect, and it was, like, it, it is when you hear that because basically it's when you're auditioning for someone, uh, it's like you want to be able to look at them uh, objectively. You don't want to have them look. If I look at you while I'm auditioning for you in your eyes, it's going to distract you from getting to, you see what I'm saying? Makes so sense. she was just saying, look over their heads, play the scene like you would anywhere else with me, with her. So I did it and I was reading for the friend at this point, right? So I'm like, all right. Was David Chase in the room? I don't remember. He could have been way back in the in the back, but they they film it. So I I do it, and uh, I they go, can you go read Finn? Go practice Finn. Come back in. Mind you, the hallway is riddled with actors. For my part, for the friend, my friend Evan Newman, great actor, was there. Um, there were a couple other people that I used to go up against, um, but a lot of people I'd never seen before. 
I'm Jewish, but I guess, you know, whatever, Italian Jews, they're, they're just kind of look can be the same. So they had me reading for both. <clears throat> I come in and I read for um, Finn, and I think they kind of laughed. I remember them giggling a little because I played it very real. Like, I was, like, playing it fucking scared of this dude under it, but also a little entitled maybe, which is what the character kind of needed because he was talking about like Billy Budd. And, went and to Columbia. Went to Columbia, exactly. I'm forgetting all, all of this. It's been so long. Yeah, so I was in tune with that. You know, my sister, uh, my parents went to, I believe, league schools. My sister went to Princeton. Like I'm, I get what the timber of what they're going for. So I just kind of sat in it and cu- tried to make it as real as possible. So cut to two weeks later, I'm like, fuck, mom, I don't know if I got that thing. I really want it. Like now that I put, you know, all that work in, you know, and I I said, she said, call your manager, check in. So I called my manager. How many days did you wait? It was like two weeks later, you know, it was a long time. That's an eternity, man. Dude, no joke. I call and he goes, you didn't, I don't know if I called him or my, my agent. No one called you. You, you, you got the part. And I was like, dude, it was one of those feelings. Like, I've had them a couple times, but that one felt, I just was, you know. Did you understand the gravity of the show at that point? No, no, no. no. But it felt so good. You know, when you bond with your, you also bonded, because I was, you know, not to get into, like, familial shit, but, like, it was, like, a win for my mom, too. It's going to make me cry. But uh, she, you know. I went through some hard times in school and shit and like it was just nice it was nice to come out like with like a win you know and it was like you know she's not here anymore and she'd be really proud of me but it was cool to work on it together you know and and have that have something great happen and like this business dude is so hard to get things made and people now that I'm on the other side and I see what it's like to make a film or get you know do that stuff it's like I think sometimes because things want to move so quickly in today today that the process gets lost and you can't recreate moments. So that moment was what it was. And 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 I don't live for that moment. I find new moments and it's wonderful like us sitting down is one of these moments. You know, how cool is this that that you're like doing a great podcast, but that moment just felt wow super cool and like really couldn't have come at you know in school school sucked like basically school college was cool but I got kicked out ultimately not for being a bad actor for just not taking the training that's what they used to say they were like you're not they I don't know like we're not sure about you taking the voice training it's like give me a fucking break you know, Tom Hardy gives a shit about, you know, it's like all all this shit, you know, Stella Adler, that's why those classes were cool. Like, like the people who really, Michael, like he didn't go to college. He went to great acting program because that's when you're an adult and you know what you want. And instead of being like, oh, we are going to do voice now. We're going to do this. And I'm more from, I'm from New York city. Like where it's like, you just do what you want and you figure it out. And I needed more of that. And I wound, I wound up kind of neat. Like I was letting other people lead me. And for the first time I felt like, Oh shit, I'm, I really belong, you know, and doing this was just, I, and then of course I walk onto set for Sopranos and I'm like, I don't belong here. This is the scariest. I walked onto, dude, it's like watching, I watch Sanford and son with my wife and shit. Like we love that show. And like, I watch a lot of old shit, but like imagine walking 
onto set with Red Fox. And you're about to do like, you're like, like Lamont is gone and you're playing his son, you know, which is a, that's a really weird show. <laughs> but, but if just you walk on and like all of a sudden you're on fucking Red Fox and you got to match him, you got to be with this legend. So it was at that point, I didn't have YouTube. I couldn't watch shit. I didn't watch stuff. I didn't watch that show, but I knew the energy. I knew that what my mom was telling me, I knew what other people were telling me, my friends who did watch it. Um, I didn't have school I, I, because it was on when I was in college, like last two years. So I didn't have a TV down there. I, I wasn't paying attention. You couldn't watch clips on Instagram. So I walk into this, onto this set and uh, I think my first day was on a set having dinner with these people. And I was like sitting down to dinner with the Sopranos for me. And my friend Evan, who I grew up with and I didn't know, the the, the kid who play, wound up playing the other role that I was auditioning for, Evan Newman, he's sitting there and Evan, you won't like me telling this, but he had a really hard day that day. He had one line that, that I remember. It was like, uh, basically, Jim, uh, um, Tony is, is, they're talking about Billy Budd. And he is... <laughs> They wanted him to read it a certain way. Evan was like, I'm not gay. Like like that, you know what I mean? And he, and he couldn't get it right. And we sat there. I shit you not, the director wanted it a certain way. I'm not gay. I'm not gay. Like for hours, like it felt like eternity. And I felt so bad for Evan because he wasn't nailing it the way they wanted. And I was like, every one of them was fine. Some reason. Meanwhile, AJ leaves, Tony leaves, Carmella leaves. We're just sitting there with like the stand-ins him just saying I'm not gay for like the whole rest of the episode and um and like you know the lighting Alex Sakharov who yeah so why that guy just like he's interesting he's shooting his own shit now but that show's look and feel is partly responsible for him in because of what he did and you would walk onto those sets and I've worked on a lot of tv shows the quality of light that he created was very warm actually and very welcoming and very dreamlike like i remember walking onto the set um for the first time and being so fucking scared and excited and i walk into silver cup and silver cups are not a very impressive place it is when you're starting off but you know it's just fucking rooms and shit and like then you get into the belly of the beast and then there's walls and the walls inside are things that you would see in a house. You see, you know, it's built out and it's this world. And then you walk into it and it was the first time I saw a set with great attention to detail. And I'm like, I'm looking around and I'm, I'm like, this is a, a Columbia dorm. You know, it's like a, it's a upper, because Columbia kids, they don't, they, who live off campus, they stay in like Harlem apartments, right? And they're like, some of them are nice nowadays. They probably live in who knows. But I was just so like looking around and in this dream light. And then James comes on set and then Edie comes on set. And I had seen pictures, you know, but I'd never seen the show. Robert comes on set. Jamie Lynn, you know, and at that point, man, being an actor and like if you're not a douchebag guy, you never treat a woman out of you just you need to know boundaries right so jamie i'm like oh i'm supposed to be her boyfriend like i'm meeting her and she's really pretty and cute and sweet and like and so you of course you like start to 
you just, it was so surreal. It was as though I just had to accept where I was, which is so much what acting is anyway. But it was a very surreal, very dreamlike thing, man. And that's, and then to make it even wilder, when I did start watching the show and I did like it and I was blown away by, by how smart and savvy and brutal and, and well acted, I mean, you know, it's a fucking dream. It really was a dream. So when my friends, like my friend Ben uh, is a huge fan, and a lot of my friends were, but Ben was like, always like, dude, it's crazy. It's crazy that you're on that show. You know, like, and I was like, I don't know what that means. Finally, Do you know what that means now? I mean, you know, it's interesting because yes and no. Like, I know what it means. Like, the fact that Michael Imperioli and I sat down and wrote an entire script together and I had to get past that when Michael and I started working together just that I was so familiar with watching him and he's one of the funniest people I know he cracks me up he's an incredible actor he's incredible on that show um and so getting beyond that sort of surreality was tough you know um I want to touch on two things real sure. quick that you said. One, um, thank you, first of all, for going there with your mom. I know that's Oh, yeah, tough. sorry, sorry, no, sorry. No, no, it's, it's beautiful. I, I totally empathize with you. You mentioned that the show, like, it, the business is so hard. It's so hard. And a lot of people ask me why I love the show. Like, why do you keep going back to the mm-hmm. show? And I tell people that it's because the show, to me, to, in David Chase, in my mind, is a, is a is an example or a paradigm of execution, he executed this show that is now 20 years since the, you know, uh, premiere uh, pilot is timeless. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I keep coming back to it because it to make this stuff is so hard mm-hmm. and to see it through mm-hmm. and to finish it and to end it and to make it the most talked about ending in the history of endings, that is an exercise in mm-hmm. execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you, something that you said, and I just forgot. Um, so. You appeared in 14 episodes, including White Caps, which is one of my favorites. And if you feel like sharing something you've never shared before, this is the perfect place to do it. Okay. What do you remember most from being on the show? Give me well, some... wait, sorry. White Caps is... White Caps is season four, no, season I know, four I know, finale. I'm even, I, I know it. I see, oh. It's the episode where Tony and Carmella... Oh, you're going to buy the house? He goes to buy the house. I'm and... not really in that. I'm just in the end, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I just so. show up. I'm you with them, and, and, and they're, like, looking to buy a house. Right. That was when I knew. So that was funny because that was when I was like, wait a second. I might come back. Yo, because they don't tell you shit, man. They don't. That was a whole phenomenon on the show was everybody always thought they were going to get killed. I'm going to cut you off yeah, because sure. I remember what I was going to ask okay, you. Okay, cool. You mentioned the lighting. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I spend a disproportionate amount of time on the podcast perseverating mm. on the optics. On the framing, on the lighting, on the color. Tony, there's a scene when he's in the Scatino Sporting Goods Store, season two. He's standing in a sporting goods store. He's standing in a fucking sporting goods store. And he looks like a painting. He looks like a subject in a Caravaggio Italian painting. And that's intentional. And people are like, oh, it's just a scene. But no, and you're telling me what you said made me stop in my tracks. That this combination of Chase and Sakharov, they're... Every single frame is meticulously thought of. 100%. And that kind of goes back to what you said earlier about just trust the words and just trust what we're giving mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and you'll understand. Does that play into what you said? 100%. And he, uh, so, yeah, but then here's the incongruous thing, as I said, like where you like, David's really, you know, methodical and thinks about it. And then just to throw out a weird thing, that 
fucking guy who just died who used to do, uh, you know, R.I.P., uh, the, the dude who did, did my, Dude, Where's My Car? That dude directed a fucking episode of Sopranos. So just to show you, like, what? I remember being like, oh, who's that guy? That burly fucking, like, dude with, like, the giant beard. And It was lunchtime. And, you know, people come early to prep their episode or to do whatever, maybe casting. It, it doesn't matter. But, like, it was uh, Mike Figgis. Director, Mike Figgis. Like, what? Okay, that's cool. And the dude, where my, where's my car guy? Like, why, how did that work out? And I guess he was a huge fan of the show, probably hustled and told David, I'll do anything. But that's, again, it's like somebody who's really um, specific about something. It's not like, you know, oh, I only like a minimalist painting. I'm going to bring in, you know whoever no his tastes the are anti- right and, and antithetical and so he would do these things and you'd be like oh that's gonna fuck it up but it didn't it always elevated it the weirdest thing is i don't know if you recall this mike figgis's episode um it's really weird there's a slow motion shot there's like this like weird surreal moment that comes very much out of place where the, I, I have it in my head, but I don't remember where you could find it on the internet where they're like coming out of a house and it, it sort of slows down. It's really weird. Go back and find it and tell me if you, if you find it, because I, I hope I didn't make it up. I don't think I did. It's Mike Figgis's episode, but the lighting was, I was always astounded by like the beauty of the light. So you noticed it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Amazing. But I'm like really, you're like I, that. I'm. I like that stuff. I like. We're kindred spirits. Yeah, I love that stuff, and I'm like always really fascinated by filmmakers, and and that was also another thing. Walking onto that show, it's not. It's not like walking onto um, Law and Order, where, you know, I love Law and Order, but you know, and they've given me a lot of work, and I'll work for them again. But you felt like you were in the presence of film making, and these days, there's a lot of you know get shit going yeah, fast yeah put it out yeah and then they're like well but but you get a filmmaker and then like so stuff is look that show was shot on 35 man boardwalk empire shot on 35 and something happens you were in four or five episodes yeah that, right yeah, yeah. Ha- something happens when you shoot on film where it changes the it just changes stuff man i mean i, I don't know hollywood's a funny place Finn was there on the show, and then he wasn't. Do you recall the creative decisions surrounding Finn, the conversations, the explanations for the arc or the final disposition of the character? And you kind of alluded to your feelings on how it all ended for him. Kind of, I just kind of want to get your... Well, there's the actor, Will, and then there's the writer, Will, and then there's just the person, the, 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 the fan. So the actor, Will, when you're acting, you're just doing your job, right? Then there's the actor will who's an actor not on screen he has to make money he has to continue working career etc so that part of me when i saw the writing on the wall which was you're gonna either get killed or you're going to get raped or sodomized or you're gonna um buckle down you know you're gonna do something else maybe you're gonna open maybe you're gonna open your own practice that's where my brain went was what are they gonna do to disrupt my love of what's happening here which is the love affair of just being a working actor on a show that's amazing that when you read a script you want to dig in and do some shit with it so when i saw that 
and I'll give you the perfect example. When I ask Jamie's character, Meadow, to when I proposed to her. Do you remember that? When I proposed to her. You're packing a suitcase to leave. Yep. So, I, so I was aware. I always said to, to uh, and this was me and Terry and Tim going. Tim Van Patten. Yeah. And Tim's the best director. I'm sure you've heard that. Um, when I got to that point, I wanted to say it. I remember saying it because we were supposed to be tired and Terry and Tim and Terry would come up to me and they say, I will you say it like you just want, you want this conversation to be over. You just want to get it done. You just want to get it done. You want to go to bed. And I knew what they were saying, but I didn't want to say it that way. The actor in me and the, I don't know what it was, the hang up. I didn't want to say it that way. It was, it wasn't like, oh, I don't want, I want to make her feel good. It was like, I know what they're doing here. If I don't say it with love and compat, like I really mean it, uh, then I, uh, the actor in me is going, well, they're going to come, the, well, this will eventually come to an end. This can't end well. That's what I'm saying. Because who married, who proposes to their significant other? with this sort of chagrin, right? So I knew, because I'm a smart dude, and like I also knew that I could see the writing on wall. I'm like, I want to say it lovingly. And they were like, Will, trust me, this is this is it. I remember Terry going, Tim and Terry, Will, just say the words like this, like you just want to get it over. And I remember that's what good directing is. They didn't acquiesce to my trying even. They were like, no. It's like this, and 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 I was willing to go there with them, and that was listening to your director and your writer and just trusting, and and it would have sucked. My version wasn't right. So, in with respect, that was like a microcosm of what I'm telling you is microcosm of like okay, um, when I want to pack my suitcase or you know get out of here, I see the writing on the wall. This guy is eventually gonna jet, or I always wanted. My uh, my revisionist history was, and I actually think this is cool, Finn sets up, he eventually, flash forward to, he graduates uh, school, they start doing shady business out of his practice with his dad or whatever the fuck he's doing. Like a better call Saul yeah, type situation. Yeah, and they're doing like crazy fucked up shit out of his office because... It's a good, you know, front or whatever the fuck it is. Like, Michael comes in, kills somebody in a chair. Like Entirely logical. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's I'm like also an- like, that. I can write, and so I, I could see. But there's no way they were going to do that. Are That's there any not- specs of that type of a script out there? <laughs> I should write it, man. Do you have one in your, in your archives? I haven't written something like that. What would that be? Like a prequel or something? Not a no, prequel. That would be, Just a side. It's a side. It would be it's a side. A, well, it would be a sequel. It would be, well, actually, no, because Meadow marries somebody else, but it would be like a parallel. It would be yeah, a Netflix parallel. spinoff. It would be a You're Netflix right. spinoff series. Finn's uh, dental practice, and not necessarily that uh, you're, love you're affiliated with the Soprano family anymore, but that you maintain some relationships. You Interesting. Know, maybe, maybe Paulie. Interesting. Maybe, maybe somebody's saying, hey, you know, you were our guy once and you're going to be our guy again and you're going to be our new Satrials. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're we're going to use, we're gonna use your waiting um, room. I'm going to tell Michael, I don't. I, we're going to use the waiting room of your yes, dental practice yes, to funnel cash. Yes. Because they use waiting rooms in season one, Junior and Bobby, and, and they transact cash yes. in the waiting rooms of ophthalmologist's office. Dude, this we is a Netflix. This. this is a Netflix spinoff series. I'm so into it. I'm telling you. Well, can we use uh, uh, the question? It becomes can he, can you use the name Finn DeTrolio? 
Well, you got that's a that's a conversation. That's that's one of these conversations. <laughs> yeah, I got you know, to talk that, to, that's talk IP. To David, yeah, that's IP. I mean, I'm sure it would look. They just did a reboot of uh, the uh, Karate Kid on YouTube. Oh, really? The Karate Kid thirty of years course, later. Of course. So Daniel Larusso's a car dealer in the valley, and Dan. Uh, How is it? I crushed it. It was 10 episodes, 30 minutes a piece. And I'm a fan. It's from sure, our era. Sure, We're the same sure. age. Yeah, we grew up with yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's Daniel LaRusso and the boy that he fights is Johnny, the, the crane kick. Yeah, Sabatka. That's his William name. William Sabatka. The one he beats at the end? The William, actor's yeah, name yeah, is Sabatka. William Sabatka. Yeah. He's a good guy. Great acting. Yeah. He, uh, he opens up the Cobra Kai. He revamps the Cobra oh Kai dojo. Oh my God, I gotta see this And shit. the car dealer of Daniel LaRusso tries to shut it down. And Fuck they have yeah. a showdown. And they train a, he trains a young fighter and they train a young fighter. Wow. And then they have a showdown. And it's so digestible. Awesome. But it's well, just, it's, it it's taking IP and it's dusting spinning. it off yeah. and then spinning it. Yeah. You take a little piece of the old show, but then you make it your own thing. I like, I like, yeah, I like where you're going with the, 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 the fin to troll. That's, well, you, you, you see it. That's what I saw. So that's just going back. Like, that's what I saw. And, um, the way they wrote me off, I remember it was, I think it was Terry's episode who did the last one. And it was just that phone call, like fins on or something, you know, like I, it bummed me out obviously because just, I knew, that's that's the journey of an actor too. That shit ends. Did your volume of activity go up after the show? Was there a, was there a Sopranos so, bump for you? Well, it's interesting. Uh, a big agency called me one day, like Cole called me, and I don't know how it happened. Either they saw a play that I wrote, or they saw the Sopranos or whatever, and they like they were like, uh, "This was William Morris before it was William Morris Endeavor." And they're like, uh, "Is this Will Janowitz?" They clearly knew it was me. And I was like, yeah. Like, would you, uh, do you you have representation? They probably knew I had representation. And I was like, yeah. And being a young kid, I was like, I'm happy where I am because I just got on Soprano. You know, I I knew better, but I didn't take the meeting. I didn't do that. And I feel like, so in answer to your question, yeah, a little bit. But I always think that because of my age and that time in my, and, and and I'm not like a, quote-unquote pretty boy and I'm not like I'm now coming into my acting chops right now and it's kind of cool but it did there was like a time I got shows like I was on a big zombie pilot that was going to be huge predates Walking Dead Les Moonves killed it big people Ray Stevenson like at the time Rome was just all you know like it was going to be big, uh, but yeah, so no, I don't regret shit. I mean, I'm happy and I've got a lot of cool shit going on now. So, um, but it helped. Yeah, it helped, but it didn't like propel me to, you know, I, again, that's a little bit of the, the, I do think that today people are sycophants for fame and fortune and, and media that, that it would have been more career defining in terms of acting gigs and, and, and work because the scaffolding that's around you now yes a hundred percent hundred percent i do think that yeah what's a memory or two that you can share of your time with james gandolfini um there was a lot the two distinct ones first of all he was the best person and he was very mercurial and like you didn't always know if you i didn't i was really sensitive to him but i also as i said i do like to talk to people i'm not afraid I don't want to get in fights all the time, but like I wasn't afraid to in, in interact with anyone. So he was very kind to me, extremely, extremely. Actually, when I read his, David's eulogy, I fucking burst out crying. Um, two moments. So because they were very or one. No, no, I'll give you, I'll give you two. They were very inclusive with me. Like 
And that's how that show rolled. Like, it was a family. So uh, one of the best times was... Uh, so there's... So the one funny one, weird one was... Actually, it's a, no, shit, same night. We're shooting this thing in the steakhouse. You paid the check? I figured since you're always so, you know, generous, I should reciprocate. You're lucky you don't get your head handed to you. Dad. Let's get something straight. You eat, I pay. Mr. Soprano. No, when you have your own family, you pay. And uh, I kept fucking up a line or something kept making me corpse. Where Robert's here, Jamie's here, and Jim's where you are. This was cracking me up. I don't know why. Robert is going away to, like, summer camp. So... I, my, I, one of the line was like, oh man, I've, I've done summer camp. It's like, you can still have fun. But in my head, I thought that line was fucking hilarious. Cause you know, you get tired. It's like 1am at this point. You're like delusional. You've said these lines a million times. You start having little funny, like one little funny thing throws you. And <laughs> I thought that what the line meant had subtext. Like, you can do whatever you want. Like, whatever that meant. Like, you, you go, I don't know what it meant. Like, sleep with, you know, teacher. I don't know. It, counselors. It just got counselors. It got weird. And I got. I kept laughing. Then she. Then Jamie's laughing. Robert's laughing. Jim's laughing. And about, I fucked up a couple takes. And back then, you felt what that was like because it was film. And I was always cognizant of that. And I felt bad, but I was, I didn't have the professionalism yet or the sort of, like, you still, I crack up all the time when I'm working still, but you know how to self-register, you know? You know how to temper it. I couldn't, and Jim reaches across the table, grabs my nose and his fingers like this, and, go, and goes, like, pull, you know, fake pull. He goes, you do it. He goes, you laugh again, and I'm going to pull your nose off. I'm going to shove it up your ass. And he got real serious, and I was like, whoa. And got the scene done, and he was just doing it to help me get through the night cut to that we wrap it's the old homestead steakhouse we're downtown there was a club down there called sway or suede or something and he goes we're all going out you want to come and i'm like what like you guys are really inviting me like you like me and they took me and he knew that me and jamie and robert got along and i think he liked seeing people get along he, he wasn't like a person who didn't who liked animosity he liked people getting along and so they took me it was called sway or suede or uh, people it's a fancy club and we go in <laughs> and we get a immediately when he walked in bottles bottles tables reserved you know cornered off ready to go walked in bottles of kettle one you know everybody and these guys could like everybody was we were young and it was a party party and people and mind you there's kids around and he's this towering big teddy bear of a dude who's faint super famous they're famous and i'm with them and i'm in this cornered off area and this girl cute girl comes over she starts chatting to me the probably doesn't she's no idea who i am and just wants to be part of the party she's talking she's wasted she's in high heels tables are real low and like glass and like big she slips while she's talking to me feet go out knocks over everything on the table like a fish on like you know on land and just flailing they're gone jamie robert by the second she falls they're gone there's bottles everywhere and i see them already set up on the other side of the room new bottles everything and they're like and he goes he goes 
What'd you say to her? You know, like, what happened? End of the night, had a great time, stayed out, danced, drank a little bit. And I said, hey, Jim, um, I, I walked up to him. He was at the bar getting a drink. And I said, Jim, I just want to thank you for including me. Like, thank you. And he goes, anytime. He was a little, you know, buzzed. And he, go, and, and he goes, anytime. He goes, and I'll never forget this, and I'll never know what the fuck it meant. He goes, you're really good but you got to stop it with that fan shit. But I didn't know what he meant. And it gnawed at me because I felt like it could have been co it could have been a it could have been partly that girl a fan maybe he was uh, joking. It could have been I it's not at me for years. It could have been uh he used to get really hot. Uh, those sets were really hot. And and you're always in you're in just like heavy clothes. It's never you're you know it's just a hot set and film was lit differently. I think it's just super hot. Maybe air conditioner was they they had it off. I don't know, but it was always hot. And I sweat a lot under lights. He does too. They would give you little fans, and I always had a little fan. And I had a little fan on me that episode because it was hot. I'm like, is that what he was talking about? Because they're like, hey, Will, you know, costume wardrobe comes up there. You want a fan? And I'd be like, yeah, 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 I'd love a fan. I didn't know. So for the life of me, I don't know. And Jim was never, uh, you know, always pleasant to me and always super nice and made me laugh. And But you never got to follow up I on never it. understood it. And I didn't. And to me, it doesn't matter because that's who, you know, that cryptic sort of like that dream. It's part of the dream. What stands out to you the most about David Chase? Just him being really uh, kind, very thoughtful. When he, I think that he felt most comfortable actually working. You meet him in social scenarios and he, uh, I don't know, he's not as comfortable. I don't think, and I'm not, you know, I, you know social scenarios uh, make everybody feel weird. It's, I, it's funny with act with actors too, and like especially people in entertainment, you assume that they're very extroverted, but it's a lot of introverts. A hundred percent. That yeah. takes that we're just able to overcome getting out of their shell mm-hmm. to make something happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think of other th- stuff. I just uh, there there he was uh, he would go up. People also said he wasn't there a lot, and I don't. Uh, he I felt like he was there all the time. Did I you see him a lot? A lot. He was always around, and no knock on any other showrunners. But I feel like he, I don't know, he, I felt like he was really there. It's rare these days to find a showrunner, like, on set, I think. Where but I could be wrong. I, I haven't worked on, like, for instance, Netflix. I don't know what Netflix's deal is. I don't know what, everybody's different. Everybody, Netflix might be fairly hands-off during production. I don't know. Or Amazon, you know, Matt Weiner has a show on Amazon. I don't know how, Matt was on set. Matt's on set. You know, when, when Mad Men and stuff oh, course, like that, yeah. you know, he's, he's very, a, he's, he's from that tree, right? He's yes, from, exactly. Did he fashion Mad Men very much in a, as far as organiz, uh, organization? Yeah. Yeah. He's really organized. And I mean, I think he's really professional. Like I think he, he definitely is very specific. Um, did you see any similarities? He's a way different person. Way different person. Yeah, one's Italian and one's. I mean, yes, David's half Italian, but Matt feels more, for lack of a better word, like a neurotic Jewish person. No offense, but I'm one, so I. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and once you're on set, and me, he's not. He's just like really intense. He he really enjoys shit. He he's intense. It's not bad intensity. It's really funny, actually. Did you watch the show in its entirety? 
Which? The Sopranos. Oh, yeah, definitely. You have. It started, the weird shit was, um, so my friend Adrian is on, was en- the Entourage guy, uh, was was Vinny Chase. And Adrian Grenier. Grenier. So when I'd come out to L.A., Adrian was nice enough to let me stay at his house um, here in, like, Hollywood. So I stayed there, and I remember Adrian um, had a little TV setup, and on his TV setup was Entourage and Sopranos. I'm like, well, I have enough distance now because I wasn't. The show was done. I was like, fuck it. And he had DVDs. He had all the DVDs. I watched them all, and, and I was so like, you binged them. Yeah, and I was like, whoa. What was your favorite episode? I think the pilot. People don't talk about the pilot a lot. And we the, we did. Okay, cool. Because <laughs> the pilot's weird. The pilot's amazing. It's amazing. It's weird. It's you know the backstory, right? That he was no. He thought I it may was, or may not. Look. He thought it was DOA. David Chase. Dead. He just wanted to make it. He wanted it to be a movie. He wanted basically to it to be the the green light for him to make a make that into so an that's hour what and it, a half So film. that's what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. That because because he never thought the show was going to get picked sense. up. Yeah. Because structurally, it feels very like a departure from what they wound up doing. Yeah. It feels like this like yeah, it feels self contained like, yeah, movie. Yeah, which I love. Have you seen a more conflicting ending before or since the show? Well, not all shows really have a real true run like that. Good point. Do you know what I mean? Like, Good point. not a lot of shows, and that's the funny thing too with today. It's like people love, like Bad Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad had a, but no, that Breaking Bad is not. Uh, I'm not using that as a reference point. Here's the thing with Breaking Bad's finale, and I was a fan of the show. Oh, but they're going to do a movie. So what the fuck am I talking? I don't remember the ending. I remember. Maybe, nor do I. The I, I, I know I he, never... he. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what. Do you it know is. what I'm saying? Yes. Like the, the well, ending, that's the why, ending is seared in the but memory. That's why people freaked out when it, yet it's so like I'll, I'll talk. I mean, people freaked out and they're like, "What? I don't understand." And it's like, yeah, because it's fucking over. You don't understand it because you don't want it to end. And and this this what he did is very um, meta and very like. Dude is walking. I always, my interpretation, and not that anyone asked, but like, I always thought it was really interesting that you've got this guy seemingly at the peak of at least wealth uh, for him. Maybe it was going to go up. up Relatively. Relatively. Eating in an Americana diner, in a diner that's as ubiquitous and like as a, in an outer, fat, fat burger. You know, diners are family diners are um cheap relatively speaking diners are cozy diners represent they're on the road and here's his family all of them together in this place and you people could uh, you know uh, posit oh he was gonna die he was gonna get shot meadow you know whatever but i actually saw it as like you're just seeing them together and you don't see that, and they ha- and they hadn't been at that point. There had been like trauma and turmoil in in the context of the relationships, and and they're here they are in this in this diner. So I think people like to look really heavily into it when you don't write endings to sure you want sure you want um, people to analyze them the way we do, but you don't. I don't think you're saying you you think of hooks for the last episode. We've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to do this, the mechanism. But this is the last. This is, it's not the ending. It's the last image. 
then people don't talk, they don't understand that. It's David saying, that's my last image. That's what, what I feel is what I want to part with. And so I think it's weird to analyze it to death. The cutting to black, it's, it's awesome. You know, and, and yes, it's harsh, but life is harsh. And you're not going to get, you know, when somebody dies, my mom, gone. And it fucking hurts. And it really, you don't get to say goodbye the way you wanted to. And you will always remember it. And David's not a fucking idiot. I love it. I'm going to say a name. Um, well, actually, so I'm not Eugene Pontecorvo. So your character can answer this question without fear of getting into trouble. Who wins, Tyson or Ali in their prime? You were, oh, is this? Finn was asked that question and he was afraid to answer. Oh. Because he didn't want to. Okay, hold on. In, Tyson, in a bout with, the, them, with each other. Tyson versus Ali in their prime. Who you got? I would say uh, Ali, um, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Ali had a legendary chin. It's part of the reason he wound up with Parkinson's. Um, anyone can get dropped, as we know, if you watch the the, the, the Deontay Wilder Fury fight. I just, um, my money would be on... Uh, on on uh, I'll give you this also. Tyson never fought technicians and and brilliant people like Ali. He just didn't. He 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 did at times, but now no one as savvy in the ring as Ali. And so you're talking about a guy who is not I mean, look, I just watched Joe Rogan, you know, Teddy Atlas is a, is a friend and Teddy said he was a great athlete but not the best boxer Tyson and he's right he just is and he's a, here's a guy who worked with LaMotta and like knows great boxers so my theory is that if you put those guys in the ring at their peak number one Ali would have watched his fights Tyson he would have found a chink in the armor and he would have exploited it I don't what I'm not thinking about is how their styles match up but if you look at the rope style that he, you know, deployed on a people and you think about Tyson and his height and his wing and his length and his wingspan and like how he would throw, maybe he'd get some body shots in on the rope-a-dope and maybe, but the, he was quite a bit taller, wasn't he? Ali was way taller. Yeah. So I, length. Too. yeah, I would take Ali, man. And I think it would really start to frustrate Tyson. Uh, Tyson would have a window to, to smash him, you know? But, uh, uh, man, Ali, I really do think Ali. So, one more story. Michael Imperioli, uh, this was one of the more magical things that happened on set. And for me, it was just weirder than other people because everybody went up to him. Michael was working on something, and I don't know why, what it was, but you can ask him. He, he brought Ali to set of The Sopranos, and I was working that day. And... uh People, there was like a buzz in the in the in the in the studio. We were on the soundstage in the back of the soundstage where they do catering and like have uh, candy, and sh- you know, all the craft service. And there was a buzz, and I'm like, "Whoa, this is this buzz, whatever this energy is, just changed the the whole room and the whole atmosphere." And uh, I start walking down a hall, and I see everybody surrounding Muhammad Ali. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, as if I wasn't already on a show. Like, what? And uh, Michael's walking with him, um, giving him a tour. And I didn't, I'm not a big 
I do like talking to celebrities, but only if they want to talk to me. And but I I don't I'm not going to go to you. Like I I just I I wouldn't do that. That's just not how I am. I'm I'm more of like a let's nat- have this be natural if it works. If it doesn't, okay. So I didn't want an autograph. Didn't want any of that. I'm staring at him while he's doing all this fanfare, talking pictures, etc. There was no phones that could take pictures, so no one. It's less. He sees me, Ali sees me looking at him. And he has bad Parkinson's. And he sees me. He gives me this tiny little smile. And he was standing with somebody else. And he goes, and he puts bunny ears behind their head. And he, and it was just, that's all I needed, man. He, we had a personal connection. I didn't need to fucking introduce myself. I didn't, and he knew better. It's the story, you know, it, it, it's about good writing. That's good writing. It's this wise, it's a, it's a metaphor for Sopranos. He, it's what he didn't say. It's what happened in that moment with me and him. He made bunny ears on some fucking person's over his head. And I got to experience that. And he, um, you know, and it's the other story when he got under, uh, uh you know, the story about him getting under, um, uh, who who did, was uh, Rumble in the Jungle or uh, who did he fight? Joe Frazier. When he and Joe Frazier and uh, the career, end of the careers, they're in a um, they're doing some press thing. They're not fighting either of them. And uh, Frazier, there's a heavy bag in the room, spe- uh, heavy bag in the room, and he Frazier goes because they were always getting on each other's skin. He's like, he, uh, he's like, Ali, you want to go? Want to want to go see who you know hit the bag? And J- Frazier takes off his fucking coat he's in a silk shirt he's pounding the fucking the heavy bag pounding pounding he's hitting it real hard and he stops and he goes come on your turn Ali shake shaky stands in front of the heavy bag and he's just standing in front of him and he goes fast enough for you (laughs) you know I mean like come on how you can't yeah so that's sharp mind. Yeah, that's from day one. Yeah. Love it. God bless. I'm going to say a name and you say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay. James Gandolfini. Kind. David Chase. Intelligent. Jamie Lynn Sigler. Beautiful. Edie Falco. Fascinating. Stevie Van Zant. Tough. Tony Sirico. Beautiful. What's the show's legacy? Hmm. It defined legacy. What is the mark that the show has left on okay. on television, okay. on cinema, okay. on art? Okay. I think it set a bar that, in some ways, is un- unattainable for good and for bad. And the greatest things that we come across in, in, in the world when it comes to entertainment, sports or otherwise, or, you know, they are provocative and they, they're thought-provoking and they challenge people. But out of that responsibility comes both people striving for things and 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 so is it a comparison is the thief of joy problem 
What's where, that? Where everything you put out now that comes out is like, is it as good as The Sopranos? Is um, as- I don't think that's it because there's there's been like for instance, I was I don't know what made me think of this, but we were talking about so um my brilliant friend, which is on HBO. If you haven't seen it, it's to me, and I'm gonna say this right now, Sopranos. Not all Sopranos. I don't well. There, look, there are Sopranos fans who watch that show. It's like George Orwell's Animal Farm. You got people watching for one reason, people watching for another, got, and yeah. then people all watching for everything. My brilliant friend, which is on HBO, I am not. I'm going to say this right now. I don't think HBO's programming has been very great in recent years. This show, and I don't watch. Uh, I don't watch Game of Thrones. This this miniseries, which is based on a, a series of books, is almost like a precursor for The Sopranos in a weird way. It is um, brilliant. It's not. I mean, it's no joke. And um, I bet my fucking life on it that David Chase will watch it, has watched it, and is fucking loving it because it's so brilliant. It is Italian. It's all in Italian. It's about female friendships. But underneath that, it deals with relationships in such an authentic way, in the way that Sopranos did and wasn't afraid to do. And so, I don't know. I just, I just, that, that, that show to me right now is the one thing that I've seen in recent history that um, tickles me again. That that tickles me because it's art and it's also literate. It's 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 based on books and it's just it's just sometimes. So the legacy of the Sopranos that's so hard for me. I'm not that I'm not good at that. But um, it's inspiring. I mean, it, it has to be seen. It has to be seen. It has to be. I don't think I don't think you can replicate it though. Like so that so I do. And that's okay, right? That's okay because yeah, because like I think a lot of people even maybe post sopranos like we're trying a little bit but not too much there hasn't been too many shots like that you know uh breaking bad was cool i watched it is it is it is it it ain't no sopranos people talk about the wire no doesn't do it for me not in the same way it's a different kind of different kind of quality it's a way different kind of quality yeah people again you i love how you said that people watch the sopranos for there's a group of there's a myriad of there's a cohort here and there's a cohort here and then there's a holistic group and we're encountering that with the podcast there's listeners that want to hear just about this and want to hear just about that and it's like but i will say i will say to the defense this is also a little bias what i'm saying about viewers of the sopranos i'm not in their heads no some guy joe schmo in um it's unique to everybody yeah, but Joe Schmo in um, Bellport, New York, wherever they're from, you know, or you know, Babylon, Long Island, Long, Long Island, like that guy, you know, Tony Abalone, whatever his name, you know, whoever this guy is watching, or wife and kids, he saw what I saw. He saw every moment also. So you can't watch that show and distill it down only to the ruffian mafia, you know, shit talking, because that's not the show. Not at all. That would be weird. So that in and of itself is interesting. The mafia, I've always said about the show, is ancillary to the actual show. You walk into, uh, I hope it's still there, you walk into um, Silver Cup Studios, the first season poster is on the wall, okay? And it hangs above where the security guard sits. And the poster says, um, it's Tony, arms akimbo, crossed, the mafia family on one side, his real family on the other, 
and the tagline says, if one family doesn't kill him, the other one will. Yep. And that's the microcosm of the brilliance of that show. Um, nowadays, with the advent of, like, miniseries and stuff like that, it's easier. It's going to be easier for people to be like, that's brilliant, that's brilliant, because it's mini. It's in miniature. You know, it's just like, let's tell a 10-hour movie. Sure, that's going to be fun and exciting, but it's not going to say the same things. Like, you know. It's not going to be the same meditation. No. That the no, 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 no. Because no. that was a time period, too. And there, there are shows that are trying, like, I, but that there, it's, it's, it, because that was also, like you said, it's talking about a time period. I mean, God, like. When you come across one, promise me you'll let me know. Oh, so we man. I, well, I think, I, as I said, I think my brilliant friend, dude, watch it. I watched the first episode already. I'm, Are I'm, you I'm, not I'm, a fan? No, I am. Okay. I, just need, I just have a small, get into it. small get child. Into it. I got to finish yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, get into it. Um, a couple more lightning round questions. Um, besides work, what are you most passionate about? Oh, for fun? I am a baseball fan. Um, I like also just watching documentaries and movies. Um, Who's your team? I'm a Mets fan. I'm an 80, I'm an underdog fan, so you I'm born an 86 in, uh, man. Were you born in I'm Long born Island? in, no, my dad's from Queens. My mom was born in Bratislava, Slovakia. Uh, moved to Hungarian town, which is basically like Lexington uh, on the Upper East Side. She grew up speaking uh, Hungarian, and I grew up on the Upper West Side, too. Uh, she, upper East, Upper West. Um, but I like, I like, I like to write. I like to, you know, be with my wife. I like to, I love baseball. How long have you been married? Uh, only, like, I got married September 22nd. Oh, wow. So yeah. recently. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That's Thank awesome. You. Yeah. Uh, what music is currently on your heavy rotation? No? I don't listen to current music. Oh, just like in general, music, in general. Yeah. Um, shit, man, I just was, what was I listening to a lot? I love, uh, the other night I was listening to Danzig, Lucifuge, which was produced by Rick Rubin. It's a sick album. We're working on a Rick Rubin project here. A Rick Rubin production discography deep dive. Love it. Yeah. Rick, Rick Rubin. Rubin produced a Danzig album called The Lucifuge 2. And I want to know the backstory about it. Like, I don't know much about it, except that my friend put me onto it. It's a really cool album. I was listening to that the other night. Um, I really like a, a, a variety of music, so. What was the last book or equivalent thing that you read? Uh, I just finished Moby Dick not so long ago. I'm like halfway through a new Stephen King novel. Um, the new one he came out with? The, the Outsider, yeah. which HBO just actually bought, yeah. of course. Um, it's cool. It's unique. Stephen King is not like a verb. He's not somebody you read for flowery sort of. He's just telling you he's a master of story. And Have of, you read his book on writing? Yes. Amazing, yes. right? When he's like, yeah, I, was, I, I had a trouble with addiction. I, I was drinking one night and I, I was doing coke and I, I woke up and there was uh, Cujo. You know, I was like, what? He's like, and, and there's others I don't remember. I was living in New York at the time when I got that first got that book, and I remember taking the E train to and from JFK, uh-huh. and I was reading it, uh-huh. and yeah, he, he had, it was just... I, ha- I don't know if I finished it. I, it it's after a while, just kind of the anecdotes, I was like... You don't finish it all the way, right. but there's, there's nuggets of like pearls of like power that help you through your creative process. Yeah, I got to go back, and I want to read it again. It's Moby Dick, re- Moby Dick blew my mind. Why did you read that? Just because it was I like always want, bucket list? No, yeah, I was just at infinity for it, but I was always like, what is this going to be? I found that to be 
such a fucking cool, weird read, man, because it starts off one way and it ends so different, and the middle is all about, like, whale, the intricacies of, like, breaking down whales and, you know, whale killing and carcasses being dragged behind boats and, like, just that book is... And then, but, like, Queekeg or whatever, the, the Indian... The, not the Indian. Well, the native Indian man who he, like, shares a bed with, like, in, in the first, you know, uh, opening chapter. And he's like, well, there's one bed, but it's shared with a... You know, a heathen, and and then he and he takes it, but at first he doesn't. He sleeps on the couch, and he's like, "It's freezing down here." And then he goes up, and he's like in bed with this guy who like is like burning sage at the middle of the, like that's so fascinating. And then they get on the boat, and it's just all about like being on sea. So they do this character development, and they just drop it. You know, it's so weird. One day somebody will. I know actually my friend who I mentioned earlier. I think he's trying to do something with, um. Moby Dick as a as a film or TV show, uh, I hope somebody does it and does it cool, um, because it's I don't know what you would do, but I loved it. I just loved. I liked being in this world and not um, caring about the characters for this for a weird way. I didn't care about the characters because he paints this picture of being on sea. And if you think about it, the, the sea is the character. Hmm. So when you think about it, now that I'm thinking about it, the sea is the character. Those characters, everybody sort of just washes out. And, and it's about Ahab. I found that interesting because Ahab gets mentioned ad nauseum. Of course, yeah. But it's not a, he's not a, he's not that well drawn. He's in the wings, you hear about him. But when they fucking finally try and, you know, get Moby Dick, it, I don't know. It just like sort of happens. Who owns the rights to that? It's probably public domain hmm. because it's so old. So yeah, I man, it's ripe for something spinoffs. I th- yeah yeah. We should talk. We'll have an offline we about all do, our ideas. We do a little Netflix. Yeah. Untapped, Where are you from originally? Northern California. Where? Uh, so Bay Area, born and raised, and then I went to high school in Sacramento. Whoa. Yeah. What's your background? Uh, my parents are from India. Sick. They immigrated here in the '60s, and are uh, they? But I went to Catholic school from a very young age. So, um, and my mom was, was that single. Just about education. It or? was my mom. Yeah, my mom. Again, being the son of immigrants was a blessing and a curse. Sure. Um, so yeah, I went to high school in Sacramento, uh, Catholic school, studied theology for probably six years. So I know more about Catholicism wow. than yeah. I do. My wife knows a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. I'm actually a proponent of learning about Me religion. Me too. Me too. Because it's... Well, all the great, all the great stories are there too. Great stories and just sort of like rationales. Like, yeah. you know, like, so yeah, that's, uh, the that's show cool. actually came to me late. I didn't start watching this until I moved. So I graduated from college in San Diego in 2002, moved to the East Coast where I met my wife and I started watching The Sopranos in the winter of 2002. And then I was in, I think it was in the season three at that point. Went up to visit my cousin on a train in New Jersey. Had never been in, didn't know anybody. Took the train. They were watching this show. Oh, wow. I was immediately gravitated to the, to Tony. I saw him. I was like, holy shit. And then I watched that episode and then I started back from the beginning. Wow. This is when Netflix just had the discs. So wow. I got the discs. And then I burned through the first three. Wow, so you didn't watch it till late. No, I was, I was young. Ish. I mean, I was yeah, young. Yeah. I mean, so How was long just, has Netflix been around? Netflix has been around since the early 2000s. They, they started, it was just a DVD service. And so fucking weird. how they've pivoted and what they've done is, is amazing. But listen, this has been an honor. Same, man. And a privilege. Thank you. Uh, Will, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for and, having me. And um, I wish, oh, oh, well, before we go, uh, how can listeners, where can listeners find you? 
Oh, um, I have an Instagram. It's Will Janowitz. Uh, just no hyphen, no anything. Will Janowitz. I'm on Facebook. That's the best. I'm not on Twitter. I, I, I've been there, but I don't. Yeah, it's not my thing. Yeah, Instagram's the best. Awesome. Um, Will, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, man. I really thank you. appreciate it. Thank you.